and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. It's a big show. I got the book. This is Tim and Friends for Tuesday, March 29th. Holy crap, it's moving fast. I'm Tim McCall. If you just saw Jesse Rubinoff dancing in part because, well, he dances all the time. And is there a tiger stalking Augusta National as we speak? Dude. Where is your excitement level on a scale from one to call your doctor if, in fact, Tiger Woods is currently stalking Augusta National? I'm having uh, palpitations of the heart. Palpitations of the heart. For Can you sure. tell the folks at home uh, what you told me yesterday about a conversation in the oh, newsroom goodness. about your top five <laughs> moments in sporting history? Yeah, sure. So um, we were talking about top five sporting moments, and I said mine were uh, Tiger winning at uh, the Masters in 2019, uh, the Tour Championship in 2019. Who uh, won that? Tiger. Yeah. Uh, the Zozo Championship in 2020 <laughs> when Tiger came here. back. You get out And of then here. you can go 20, 2008 yeah. U.S. Open. We're not, not doing 2000 golf, U.S. Open, Tuesday, 97, right? 2005. I mean, they're all Tiger, basically. So I'm pumped. We're, we're, there's a golden goal rank in there somewhere? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I am almost as excited as Jesse is about Tiger about this show. Justin Bourne joins our pack as we get you set for the Leafs and the Bruins on Sportsnet Ontario. I'm amused at the thought of the Leafs and Bees in the first round, but maybe that's just me because Leafs fans amuse me. I look at it as, hey, no better way to get past the first round than to slay the dragon itself. But I got a feeling I might be the only one thinking that. We'll ask Borne if he feels the same way. And the Avs and the Flames tonight, a battle of the Western Conference behemoths. Taken down a wee notch, right? Nathan McKinnon not yeah. playing in this game tonight. We'll examine a little later on. Also talking Jays with Ben Nicholson-Smith. And today on the eve of Canada's final World Cup qualifying game, we settle in for a little footy show. James Sharman, Christian Jack, and Laura Armstrong. We're going to have a little round table. We're going to have a little round table. And we're going to talk a little soccer. This could be as good as... Well, as good as Alfonso Davies singing Whitney Houston. If I should stay, I will only be your way. So I'll go, but I know I'll think of you every step of. Would you be better or worse? Uh, about the same, I think. He, he knows his limit, though. It's impressive. He's not going too over the top. Oh. Sorry, what did you say? No, <laughs> he went Carl Lewis on us there at the end. Always love you. You know, if they make you sing a song, usually don't go Whitney Houston yeah, or Celine yes. Dion for that matter. It's one of those things that as you go on, you get more and more confidence because no one's telling you you suck while you're singing it. So he, you could just tell near the end there he was he was overdosed on confidence. Uh, my, my daughter's uh, starting to watch Friends 
on, I believe, yeah. Netflix. Did you remember the one where Monica sang karaoke? I don't remember. And everyone was encouraging her because they could see through her shirt. <laughs> and she got That's the confidence example. and just kept singing. Exactly. Uh, all right, this show might not be quite <laughs> as good as either Monica or Alfonso Davies, but we'll give it a shot. Starting with First Things First and Jesse Rubinoff, what do you say, Michelle Goulet? First Things First. I think that's a debut for Michelle Goulet. Well done. Well, it took overtime, but the Toronto Raptors did beat the shorthanded Celtics last night, 115-112 at Scotiabank Arena. Pascal Siakam scored a season-high 40 points and added 13 rebounds, while Boston was without four starters, including Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Tim, are you relieved the Raptors got the win or concerned it took OT for them to do it? Both. I know people want me to sit here and bitch about the calls, but everyone on Raptors Twitter does enough of that for both you and I. Yes, the number of fouls were bad. Yes, the free throws were 28 to 18. But come on, man. Come on, man. The Celtics were without Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, and Robert Williams, and they still took you to overtime. I get it. We've all been there. We all understand that sometimes the whistle goes against you. We all understand that the Raptors... Okay, this is what we all need to understand. The Raptors play a really aggressive style of defense that pushes the envelope. If you're not used to watching basketball, think of the Boston Bruins in the game of hockey. They're constantly pushing the envelope and hoping that the referees don't call them. Okay, that's the way they play the game. So every once in a while, the Raptors get more calls than their opponents. Were there some egregious ones yesterday? Yes. But also people were worried about Pascal Siakam's sixth foul, right? Mm -hmm. That was a foul. Yeah, it was. Was that the, was that the culmination of a, like, that's a foul. Come of course, on, it, of course it's a foul. Yeah. Was it, it the culmination of all that? Yeah, probably. I get it, but you can't let Boston without four really good players take you to overtime at home. You could have solved all of that with a win in regulation comfortably, but instead Marcus Smart went off for 28. Uh, Derek White was getting inside sometimes. I mean, he just kept trying. But I, I, there's a little bit of all of that for me in that game last night. Well, they didn't have their best night, obviously, uh, but... Are you encouraged by the performance we saw once again from Pascal Siakam, who I knew you were lukewarm on the All-NBA talk no, uh, a couple not, weeks ago? Do but. not put that, that word. You, you, you take that back. You take that back. Uh-oh. I wasn't lukewarm. I was, who is he going to beat out for the All-NBA selections? Have you gone through the centers and forwards? There's a lot of names. But, I mean, he just gets better. He's getting better the entire season. No, but that's not what I said. I, what I'm, yeah, I know that you're going to distract here, and you're going to go back, and I'm going I'm to hammer you on this, and people are going to get mad at me hammering. I no, didn't no, no. say that he didn't deserve All-NBA. I said there's a lot of competition for his All-NBA, and I don't know how many Raptor fans, other than seeing the numbers that Pascal's putting up, have looked at those other forwards and centers mm -hmm. and understood that even now, Joel Embiid and... Nikolo Jokic can't be first team. Well, he's, I mean, he's going to be third team for sure. There's no, no question know, about that. But you go through the first there's two. A lot. There's, there's it, a it's lot. It's like the all-star. It's like the all-star game, which is what we, we tend to do. You know, there's one basketball team in this country. Right. So everybody wants to support, wants to send as many Raptors as you can to the all-star game, wants to give as many accolades but, as you can possibly give to these guys. So when it, you're having a season like this, people 
expect him to be recognized for it. That's all I'm saying. I just don't know if that expectation is met with a realistic – listen, next time – We'll dive, game. we'll dive deep. Yeah, we'll go deep into all of those forwards. And listen, he's putting up ridiculous numbers. And I was one of the few. Even my co-host was giving up on Pascal Siakam. I wasn't giving up on Pascal Siakam. Yeah. I knew that there was that skill in there that had him where he was before the struggles in the bubble. And he is proving that to everyone who's watching. So, listen, all, I'm upset because I don't want anyone to think that I don't think that he's All-NBA. I'm just saying there's a lot of competition for those All-NBA selections. And the distinction between forward and center is causing a little bit of a log jam mm-hmm. in front of him. That's all I'm saying. But he had another wonderful game, uh, a spicy 40-piece, as our Twitter account called it. Spicy 40-piece. Uh, uh, spicy 40-piece, which would put most people on a throne. <laughs> and I want to put Pascal on a throne, so don't make me take him off the throne of the king. Love it. All right, uh, all right so we, we are going to cheer everybody up here because... No, that's not, that's not what I do here. I don't, I don't cheer everybody up because we only have one team in this country. I am cool, calm, and calculated. And when I think about saying something, I will say it. But right now, I'm not sure he's all NBA. We don't cheer people up. We're not homers. You might be. I'm not. No, no. But, but lukewarm doesn't mean that you're not appreciative of his season. Lukewarm is just like, I think it encompasses what your point was, was that there are many other players that are probably deserving of that honor as well. And Okay, fine. I take it all back. Yeah. There you go. Done. Okay. We have to talk golf because, as Timmy alluded to up the top, Tiger Woods may be playing in the Masters next week. Of course, we haven't seen Tiger on the golf course since the 2020 Masters, aside from the father-son championship that they won. He won with Charlie, his son. Um, The accident of February 2021, obviously, is what he's returning from. Tim, we talked about it off the top. You know how much I love Tiger Woods? Yeah, I, I do. So you said maybe playing at Augusta. What's more likely, that he's there for the champion's dinner or to play? So I'm going to run you through a little timeline of why Tiger was trending this morning and why everybody in the golf world, or frankly in the sports world, is kind of in a tizzy about Tiger Woods. So it begins over the weekend when he was spotted at a course that he belongs to called The Medalist in Florida. Now he brought his caddy, Joey LaCava, down to carry his bag for him. This is Tiger being spotted at medalist now prior okay, so he's to this walking the course he's walking the course and medalist. that is important because he uh-huh. had said previously that he was only carting to play golf okay so people got pretty amped up about that then the next we go to today and this morning where ryan Ladner, among many others was tracking the tiger woods airplane oh leaving God. florida and Kauai going towards augusta national flying at a nice 39,000 feet making its way towards augusta and then here we go we have viewers you know i mean there's lots of planes in the air why would anyone bring their phone out well it's because it's tiger woods plane circling above augusta so he then decides you know what Let's land this plane. He gets the plane down on the tarmac, and you think, well, maybe he's just going for the championship. The hell dinner. else was he going to do? Maybe Circle it? Maybe, yeah, maybe he's just going to the. Maybe he's just going for the champions. Yeah, 
Maybe he's going to go back to Florida. Maybe he's going on a trip to Europe. No, he was going to Augusta. So, Dan Rappaport, staff writer, PGA Tour insider for Golf Digest, says, I have to think we won't get any decision from Tiger today because so much of it will hinge on how he feels tomorrow after walking the course. Ostensibly, he's simulating a tournament round today, full physical prep before full warm-up, hole out everything, warm down, and then Asses? assess. Oh, I see. So this, is, this seems as though... It may so be the, happening. That's the old Tiger Woods. That is the old Tiger So then, Kevin <laughs> Streelman, two-time PGA Tour winner. Uh, just in case anyone wants to track my flight to TPC San Antonio, <laughs> where the Valero Texas Open is happening this week. So everybody was up in arms because Tiger Woods is at Augusta currently. Last we heard, he is hitting balls with his son, Charlie Woods, on the driving range at Augusta National, which would, quite frankly make my year tim because so what's your what's your gut tell? i know it's gonna make your year you I, I i said that you're gonna have to call a doctor after two more hours like um he is going to play you think he's going to play i think he's going to play i don't know if he makes it through four days but you know that when tiger woods laces up the shoes and grabs the golf clubs his intention is to win and that is why everybody gets so excited about this he's not just going out there for a stroll he's going out to win Shooter McGavin on Twitter, Tiger Woods walking Augusta National today. That's so good. Forrest Gump breaking out of the leg he almost, had his, he almost had his leg, his right leg amputated after the car accident. It's a ridiculous story. We keep doing this over and over again with comebacks in Tiger Woods. It's amazing. So hopefully he plays. It's better for everybody. Let's go to hockey. A couple I, Canadian. What? I agree, but there's some trepidation. I know we got a rush, but there's some trepidation here, and I hope that you're not expecting him to be old Tiger Woods if he No, plays. no. I mean, he, he, he will only suit up if he, in his head, thinks he can win, but he's not going to win. Like, let's get that out of the way. He's just not going to. And hopefully this will be a freezing cold take. A couple Canadian teams in NHL action last night. The Vancouver Canucks needed a win, but lost 4-1 to the Blues in St. Louis. It's Tiger, man. Come on. While the Oilers rebounded from a 9-5 loss to the Flames on the weekend by taking care of the Coyotes last night, winning 6-1. The final day of the regular season is exactly one month away. Let's start with the Canucks, Timmy. Uh, That was a big loss last night. Do they still have a shot? At the playoffs. Yeah, but it's getting worse and worse and worse. And if you look at Poff, and I don't like to look at Poff, but it gives you an idea of what the math is right now. And the math is not good for either the Winnipeg Jets or the Vancouver Canucks. And that's because the Dallas Stars have games in hand. They have several games in hand on both of those teams. And the runway is getting shorter and shorter and shorter, if not done. Here's the Canucks' next five. They play St. Louis and they get Vegas twice. Mm -hmm. If they win both those against Vegas, then they got a shot. That's the, that's the, and even then, even then, they need Dallas to stumble. But the fact that they have Vegas on the docket coming up, I I don't want to write them off completely, but man, that's going to be a steep hill. Listen, uh, there's a lot. Edmonton's win, Impressive. They seem to be solidifying their spot. Nice bounce back game for them. Nice bounce back game for Miko Koskinen. We're going to get to a lot more. Uh, Justin Bourne is going to join us a little bit later on. We have two big hockey games on the network tonight. First, Maple Leafs visit the Bruins with the Atlantic Division seeding on the line. Hockey Central, Kenny Reed gets things started. 6.30 Eastern on Sportsnet Ontario. While the Flames host the first place Avalanche, who will be without Nathan McKinnon due to an upper body injury, saying it's a hand that he hurt probably 
in a fight with Matt Dumba. Sportsnet West, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. How long's McKinnon out? That can change the scope of the playoffs. Later in our show, we'll get you ringside Sean McKenzie in Boston, Ryan Leslie in Calgary, and again, Justin Bourne to talk more hockey. All right, meanwhile, many around the NHL were shocked to learn last night that Senators owner Eugene Melnick had passed away yesterday at just 62 years old, though he had been fighting illness for a while. As polarizing as Melnick became, he saved the Sens from bankruptcy when he bought the team back in 2003 and was without a doubt a massive fan of the NHL and his team. Kyle Bukoskis looks back. It is not a stretch to suggest Eugene Melnick will go down as the most polarizing figure in Ottawa sports history. His relationship with the Senators fan base was challenging, but it wasn't always like this though. There's stability that you can count on, the fans can count on, the players, the vendors, um, and I am very, very committed to making this team a success both on the ice and off the ice. In 2003, the Ottawa Senators were among the league's best on the ice. Off it, however, was a different story. Under then-owner Rod Bryden, the team had gone bankrupt and rumors swirled about relocation. That was until billionaire CEO of BioVale Pharmaceuticals Eugene Melnick stepped in and, in many ways, saved the franchise. The day after the Ontario Superior Court approved the deal to make Melnick the new owner, the Senators played in the Eastern Conference Final for the first time in franchise history. As Hosa getting inside on him, what a chance, score! Ottawa sends it to a seventh game. And I might have been the defenseman who's going to be the hero on this one, Chris Phillips. Melnick was always brash, and in the beginning, the fans loved it. He was the main reason their team was still in Ottawa, after all. The high point for the franchise remains the cup final run in 2007, but in the years that followed, the public image of Melnick started to change. Fans questioned his willingness to pay star players. Daniel Alfredson, the most beloved player in team history, walked as a free agent after 17 seasons because he felt contract negotiations, quote, went nowhere. The fans blamed ownership. The location of the team's arena in Canada has long been criticized, though it was built before Melnick became owner. He had plans to move the Senators downtown. In 2016, his group, Rendezvous Le Breton, was selected by the National Capital Commission to negotiate a deal to redevelop Le Breton Flats, prime real estate just west of the downtown core. Then, over a year later, the Senators hosted the Canadians in an outdoor game at Lansdowne Park, a game infamously remembered for these comments from Melnick regarding relocation. If it doesn't look good here, it could look very, very nice somewhere else. But I'm not suggesting that right now. All I'm saying is that I would never sell the team. Those words enraged the fan base. The hashtag Melnick Out started appearing around the city as fans spoke loudly with their wallets. Attendance declined, as did the product on the ice. The team announced it was entering a rebuild with Melnick assuring a five-year run of unparalleled success would be the reward. One by one, star players were dealt under his watch. Kyle Turris, Eric Carlson, Matt Duchesne, Mark Stone, and cult hero J.G. Pajot all found new homes and new contracts elsewhere. Any attempt at PR management did not go over well. 
You know, right now, we're kind of in a dumpster. You know, everybody says, ah, they're not going to do anything. You know, a lot of people said th things in the last year. I think when I signed up for an owner, um, I really didn't expect going through something like we did last year. And any hope of that unparalleled success unfolding in a shiny new downtown arena disappeared in early 2019 when the NCC terminated the agreement with Melnick's Rendezvous Group, a decision made in response to Melnick and his partner John Ruddy's inability to work together. The two slapped lawsuits on one another, totaling $1.7 billion. Back in 2015, Melnick faced a health crisis. He needed a liver transplant, and he needed it right away. The organization pleaded to the public for help and got it. The organ donor who saved his life chose to remain anonymous, but asked the surgeon to relay a message. Please tell Eugene I want him to bring a Stanley Cup to Ottawa. Melnick was a complicated man, but he wanted nothing more than to do just that. He loved his team, loved being the owner, and refused publicly to entertain the idea of selling no matter the circumstance. Without Eugene Melnick, the Senators may not even exist in Ottawa today, even if his legacy suggests a different narrative. And of course, there'll be plenty of time for conversation on what's next for the franchise later. What's next for us? Jay's talk with Ben Nicholson-Smith. Hockey with Justin Bourne. And up next, Canada soaks up World Cup qualification. And we will too. James Sharman, Christian Jack, Laura Armstrong next. Tuesday Roundtable. Tim and Friends back after these. and the crowd would love a goal for him and they get their wish if you can fight through all this i got one more question for look you look at his hands though yeah look at my god <laughs> yeah give him a pringle still to come justin Bourne ahead of the leafs and bruins regionally on sportsnet abs and flames later on regionally on sportsnet and ben nicholson smith on the jays from sunny florida but the sun is also shining on canada's national soccer programs plural and it's been a long time coming frankly outside of wonderful specialty programming like sports world the footy show a soccer saturday with graham Leggett, motherwell two hats one I'm not sure how many multi-sport Canadian talk shows have had a soccer-slash-football roundtable before, but ladies and gentlemen, the time has come. As Socrates, the philosopher, not the former Brazilian attacking mid, once said, the secret of change is to focus all your energy not on fighting the old, but building on the new. Fitting, because this country is building. The women have won gold, the men are heading to the World Cup, and as such, we're doing a roundtable in studio from Sportsnet and the Footy, Footy Prime podcast. My friend James Sharman beside him, an old friend, VP Media uh, content for CPL, also won soccer, Christian Jack, and finally via remote from the Toronto Star, Laura Armstrong, whose name I did not screw up. Welcome one and all. Nice to be able to do this with you three. 
This is amazing. Great Scottish accent, by the way. <laughs> Did you like it? No, it's terrible. Ah, oh, son of a really beehive. <laughs> the Scottish one's the only one I do well. Ah, I can't tell your accents apart, so I'm going to start with the one without an accent. Laura, you get the floor first. You've covered this game from time. It's kind of crazy where we are right now, isn't it? You just gave me goosebumps. I wasn't paying attention to your bad accent. I was like, <laughs> holy goosebumps. I'm, I'm not sure that I have gotten um, past it yet. I'm not sure that I really recognize that this is actually happening. The fact that Canadians are paying attention to soccer, I think is the biggest thing for me. It's not so much that they've qualified. We kind of knew that was going to happen, but just like the, the response over the last couple of days, the number of people that I know who have said, hey, like, tell me more about this team. Tell me more about the women's team. Tell me more about John Herdman. I really never thought people were going to be this interested, and it is exhilarating. All right, Christian, guys with accents who have become <laughs> very Canadian. Uh, what's most striking to you about the scenes that we saw, not only this weekend, but throughout World Cup qualifying? I think it's just like back to, to piggyback a little bit on what Laura was saying is how this country's connected to this group, right? And it can never just be about connecting to a group because they're successful at what they do in sports. It's far more than that. This is a likable group that could have taken a path to the top of the mountain that John Herman described as being a different one. Sit deeper. Let's make it difficult on the opponents. <laughs> but, you know, uh, let's find a way to get there. But instead, you know, they dazzled us. There was swagger on the pitch. They're likable interviews. They're the kind of guys that people would say, I'd like you to date my daughter. You know, that's how they, that's, this is what these guys are like. And I think that's why they're so, they're so easy to connect with. And then on top of that, we had the Davies goal at BMO. We had the David goal in Honduras. Mm -hmm. Two of the most iconic moments in the history of this sport in this country just happen to be in the same run. So it's that's for me is it's the connection to the to the people, and that's why Laura's saying that that's why people are falling in love with them. All right, give it to me in a Caldwell accent here. Oh, I've got terrible <laughs> Scottish accents. Oh, much, be oh, much better. Yeah. I'm English. What do you want? <laughs> much better than Scots mine. I've got some Scots at Scottish. Oh, I have actually, yeah. 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 I'm part yeah. Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. oh, yeah. All right. So uh, let, let's get your take on what these two were just talking about. And it's just, it feels like we've taken steps in this country that when... Laura was watching you guys as a youngster on the footy show, or I was hanging out with you at the score on uh, Sports World. Like, I didn't think we would ever be at this spot. You know, it, it is amazing what winning does. I think that's as simple as that. And like KJ mentioned there, they're a really likable bunch of players. And it all starts at the top with John Herbman, right, with the Hollywood smile. Says all the right things, has all the great quotes to set things up. And then just the way they play the game, Fonzie's smile, the way he scored against Panama, like you mentioned there, it's been a, a qualification campaign of moments. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've needed that. You know, if they just struggled to the World Cup, it would have been amazing. Don't get me wrong. But it's just the, the style in which they've done it. I mean, th th this one here, I will watch for the rest of my life and get <laughs> goosebumps. It truly is one of the great goals I've ever seen. Not just the, the ability, but the occasion as well. And like John Herbman said... He pinpoints certain moments for this team. He mentions a Gold Cup. He mentions the U.S. game back in 2019. He mentions this goal. It's a goal that Canada could get hold of and say, that's ours. He belongs to us. And, and that's so important. Never had that before, I don't think, in all this time. But that's the confluence. That, like, I think you're almost, and, and because you guys are in it, like, it's almost understating what we're seeing here, Laura. Like, I think there's a confluence of a golden generation of talent, a confluence of a coach who instilled... This, this swagger in this team, and also like a country ready to wrap its arms around soccer. Like, listen, 
I was down at those Toronto Lynx games <laughs> at, you know, Varsity Stadium or, dare I say, Lamport Stadium when they were playing there. And I never thought I would see the scenes in the stands that I sat through freezing my ass off on the weekend, Laura. Is, is, is there more going on here than just what we're seeing on the pitch? Something kind of deeper for all of us? Yeah, I think there is, and I think that it goes back to the number of people who love this sport in this country. I mean, there are participation levels that are very high. This is a very popular sport. I know that we think of ourselves as a hockey country, but there's no reason that we can't think of ourselves as a soccer country as well. And there's a number of people who play this game. I think the problem has always been the fact that we are a very diverse country and a lot of people come to Canada or they're second or third generation Canadians and they have, you know, ties back to England or back to Germany or France or wherever the case may be. And we've never really had a team that we've all been able to sort of get behind all together and that's Canada and and we have the women's team has carried this um, for for so long and I really don't want them to get lost in the conversation because they are you know the team that Canada has backed for for such a long time and the fact that the men's team is now successful as well just means that there's more to love and I think that that's very important that you know both teams are firing firing on all cylinders and that's what we're seeing so we're in for a really exciting year of soccer and then going towards the the World Cup in 2026 uh, even more so because we have two teams that are successful at the highest level so young girls young boys can look at this and say this is the team that I'm going to buy into Um, and I think people have been waiting for a very long time to have those those squats. I, I think the women had the swagger long before the men had the swagger, and they also had the medals to pack up the swag. <laughs> KJ, when did you think it was different for the men's program, though? Like, when did you look at it and say, "Holy bleep, we might be onto something here"? Well, to be honest, you know, I think it, I think back to that game against the U.S. Uh, at BMO Field in 2019. You know, that was one I first thought. But we have to say, at that moment, we didn't think we were going to get this qualification system. It was yeah. still only a system of six, and Canada didn't think they were going to get in there, and they were going to be sent around the region to play all these 14 games to try and just get to a playoff. Right. It was only COVID's delay that actually gave them a chance to get to the eight, and then they could really get that. For, for, for the longest problem, the longest time, the biggest problem for Canada soccer, as they tried to get that credibility that Laura talked about with the European fans or wherever you were from, that was right. part of the problem. Oh, without I, a doubt. I, I don't want to support Canada. They're not good enough. Yeah. And then when Alfonso went over there and Jonathan's like, okay, now you've got a bit of credibility. They'll, I'll start paying attention. But the issue was that they couldn't play teams of meaning. They were, you know, no one was paying attention. You know, the big soccer fans were not paying attention when they were smashing the Cayman Islands or Bermuda. They just didn't care. Right. And, and they, these players needed that themselves to validate their own belief, to say, when we play big nations, we can survive here. Yeah. And that's what that BMO field game did. Yeah, I was in Orlando, we all were, when they, they got beaten in the return leg. But that belief, 2-0 in October of 2019, was one that lit, they lit the fire on this group for me. And, and that's also why this is so important now, because suddenly we're attractive to other teams who want to play Canada, you'll start seeing some big nations, some of the biggest nations in the world saying, we're going to play in Toronto, in Vancouver, or they'll invite us over to to England, to Brazil, to Argentina, to France, to play these teams now. We are a desired property. Whereas in the past, that was never the case. So the fans now, maybe the the mainstream fans who haven't quite quite yet got it, will see a Messi, for example, play against Canada go, wow, actually, we are legit. This is pretty important. And I think we've been that, that authenticity of what football should be, we've been lacking for so long, I think this allows us to have it. It's so funny. I'm smiling because I'm, I'm thinking of that. That USA game to me at BMO Field kind of 
put me on a different trajectory. And then I'll never forget, I had to do a speech on here after Suriname telling Canadians, have faith in this team against Haiti. Yeah. <laughs> like, have it's a long time ago now, it's, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's almost like it's less than a year ago, but it seems yeah. so long ago. I'm going to play you guys a clip from John Herdman. And my question was going to be like, is this a golden generation? Is this sustainable? And then Herdman talking today went down a road that was very interesting to myself and producer Thomas Dobby. Here's what John Herdman had to say about kind of the opportunity that lays in front of the boys on the team. This Canadian passport now has got unbelievable value. You know, we have to thank Alfonso uh, for that. You know, I'd, I'd like to say this team have made a mark on that, um, you know, value of the Canadian passport. But, you know, a lot of that lies down to Alfonso and winning a Champions League and playing at Bayern. And this group of men have just sort of cemented it now. So, you know, I'm hoping to see people like Alistair Johnston, people like, you know, Kamal Millers make the next step into, you know, those top leagues in Europe. Because when you're number one in CONCACAF, and that's what we're going after in this next game, and you see those American boys playing all of them in Champions League clubs, you know, it's a bit of a head-scratcher when our Canadian boys are, are still playing in MLS. If you want to get out of a group stage, you need a minimum of six players playing at a tier one, level one standard. That's players playing in the top five leagues in the world, playing in the top five teams in those leagues. They're the only teams that get out of the group stage. I love the fact that both KJ and James, I couldn't see Laura in this, just shaking their heads like, yeah. Hey, is that is that the next step? Look, John knows this, and he's been talking about this for a while. And It's difficult to discuss here because we are living here. But he knows the next step is to get players away from playing in North American Major League Soccer. People were talking all last week about Richie Larea and the concern that they had and Stefano right. Stacchio because they weren't playing. weren't playing. They were in, in unbelievable high-performance environments. Stefano Stacchio was playing in a Europa League for Porto. The amount of pressure on that guy to play in that midfield. Right. Richie Larea hasn't stepped on the field yet, but he's playing at Nottingham Forest. And you've heard me say this on the broadcast, yeah. so I'm not going to go on too much. But you know, that is an environment right now where winning matters. Every single game, they have to win every single game. They're chasing their dream to get to the Premier League. Right. The facts are, no matter, no matter what we do and how much we sell it, a game at BMO Field in April in Major League Soccer doesn't matter. And they know that, and they've got to turn these players into getting into competitive environments if they want to go on to the world stage, James, and ultimately deliver at the top level. I'm going to yeah. hold you, James, because we're going to go into pots in a second, and I have a feeling you two are going to fight. So I'm going to ask Laura <laughs> for her opinion on this, the John Herdman clip and what you heard and, and kind of that next step for Canadian soccer. I'm glad you're not coming to me for pots because I don't know. I'm so confused. Well, um, KJ's going to be our pot expert, or at least our <laughs> pots expert. Pots. Okay. Yeah, pots yeah, expert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's like so classic. That's a classic John clip for me. Like, John's been saying that since 2018. This is not new for John. John has done science and he's like, he's done math and science and looked at and like just sort of broken down all of the World Cup rosters that we've seen in the past and, and figure things out. I think that what we do have to uh, recognize, though, is that John has gotten has played a big part in getting players like Alistair Johnson, Kamal Miller, Liam, Liam uh, Frazier to the point where they could be uh, European contenders because they, they probably really weren't on the map that much even a couple of years ago. So it just goes to show you how much he's played into the development and how much he says, 
you know, these have to be your goals and your goals are going to be, there's going to be team goals and then there's going to be individual players goals. And, and John is making sure that he's setting up this team for success by setting up these individual players for success. And that's the top leagues in the world. And, you know, the fact that we're having conversations about Davies, but also Jonathan David going to the Premier League or, or wherever he's going to land, Arsenal, yeah. Arsenal, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, it, it's incredible. And it's just, it just goes to show you like, how much the evolution has happened in the last couple of years. Uh, qualifying draw pots, qualifying pots, however we're going to phrase it, <laughs> we've got some news that's going to make KJ very interested. After the break, World Cup spots were on the line in Europe and Africa today, and the results may have a huge impact on Canada's chances at pot number three for the World Cup draw. We'll give you highlights, and we'll break it down what the hell it means next, or at least KJ will. Welcome back, World Cup qualifying highlights in a second, but an incredible scene today in Denmark as Christian Eriksen played at home for Denmark for the first time since suffering his cardiac arrest on the pitch during Euros. And today he returned to the exact same stadium in Copenhagen, and this happened. Unbelievable. This is Eriksen, the crowd would love a goal for him. And they get their wish back on the international scene. Two goals in two games from the Danish superhero Christian Eriksen. That's what they came to see. Shivers. Would we get shivers from Portugal and North Macedonia coming up there? Upset win over Italy. 32nd minute. 32nd minute, excuse me. Macedonia turns it over. Yeah, we away. don't talk about Bruno. Actually, we do because he scored a goal. Gave it to Cristiano Ronaldo. Got it back. 1-0 Portugal. 65th minute. Diogo Jota crosses in it. What a beautiful cross. What a beautiful first touch. We do talk about Bruno a lot. His second goal of the game. Portugal moving on to their sixth straight World Cup with a 2-0 victory over North Macedonia. So Cinderella did not find herself a fella. North Macedonia is going home. Elsewhere in Europe, Poland beat Sweden 2-0. They are qualified. Canadian soccer fans' eyes on African qualifying today as it had a massive impact on Canada's chances for pot three in the draw. Ghana advanced, beating Nigeria, which helped. Egypt's loss to Senegal on penalties hurt Canada a little bit, but Tunisia being held to a draw against Mali, it seems, and KJ will help me out with this, that a Canadian win tomorrow against Panama would get them into pot three. KJ, is that in fact true? Yeah, because obviously Tunisia are there right now, and obviously that's the team to jump over. Tunisia actually were behind Canada before Canada went to Costa Rica as well. So there's a number of things that have already gone Canada's way over the last week to get into pot three. The discussion is, did they want to be there? Did they not? I don't think there's too much of a difference now, particularly with the potential of two South Americans being in pot, in pot four. Really? And the UEFA team being put in pot four as well because of the delayed playoff because of the Ukraine game. Okay. I don't think there's a lot of difference, but the odds are that you do get Qatar. The, the odds are higher that you get Qatar if you're in pot three because the Asian teams can't play, play Qatar. So there's right. a chance. But look, it's, it's semantics. The most important thing, I think, for me, though, is that now 
it's another layer of motivation for tomorrow night for John Herbman to say to his team, not only can you finish top, but now you can go out there and this is in your destiny to go out there and get into pot three. So, you know, internally that they, they need those motivation factors. So theoretically, if you're in pot three, you would get into a group that was, I know the FIFA rankings are complete and utter horse bleep sometimes. <laughs> However, you could get into a group with a team that would be lower than you. What do you make of, and we're walking right into group, uh, or the draw on Friday and seeing what group they're in. Like, do you see this being this important? This is right up your alley, yeah, isn't it, I tell you what. You know it's what? Right I mean, this is that after all these years, KJ is still the formation geek. <laughs> and still, still loves his permutations and connotations. He nails it, of course. Yeah. Yeah, Canada's um, in it. How can you not love it? You know what? Let's wait till Friday. We'll figure it out. Right? I got a simulator right here, Charmin. Can we simulate it? I got a simulator right here. Again, it depends what you want, too. No? Do, do, people, want the, do people want Qatar or do you want a genuine heavyweight? The biggest teams possible. Like, Let's shine a spotlight I on, on our team. I'd love one. I'd love one biggest team possible and then another chance to get through. I th- give me a, a massive, massive superstar team. I want a group of La- death. Laura, I just simulated it. Spain, Croatia, Japan, and Canada. I Say like again? it. Spain? Croatia, Japan, and Canada. Herbert would take that every day, wouldn't he? Yeah, that's fine. Croatia, I think, is one of the teams you want to get from the second. No disrespect to them, but they're an aging side. Yeah, because uh, you know a bunch of Croatians going to write into the show immediately. Lots of friends. Laura, do you worry about where Canada goes, or do you believe like these guys? Perhaps there is some beauty in getting into an even tougher group and playing against the very best in the world. I say bring on the group of death. I have been like on this from the start. I'm totally fine with it. North Macedonia in uh, in Euros was one of my favorite teams to watch because they went out there with gumption. Like they pushed a couple of teams pretty hard. It wasn't a group of death, but still. Um, but I think you put Canada in with the best teams in the world, and uh, and and you put them on on display. And and I think that this team could be the kind of team that. Maybe, like, I don't think they're going to overtake any of the, the massive nations in the world, but I, I certainly think that they could give them a run for their money, and I think that, you know, that would do a lot for, for where Canada stands on the global stage. And another reason why, you know, I, I'd like them to get a big team is because I think it does suit Canada tactically to sit deeper in this World Cup. Really? Yeah, I mean, a lot of their success has come in moments because they're a transitional side, and John Herman wants to take it to the next level where they are more of a possession-based team. But you're not going to play. You're not going to start playing and opening up against Spain, are you? So you know, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to. You're going to be chasing the ball for for 70% of the match, and that's fine because they have players who will score goals against anybody. When you scout in Canada in the World Cup, you go, they're efficient. When they get a moment, they can score a goal, right. and so that. So it, I think it will help to have teams come out rather than have teams that sit in. And so that, you know, that might help them a little bit. Uh, the Speak second simulation right. was Brazil, Denmark, yes. Serbia, and Canada. Brazil. So that might be what you're talking about. Brazil. Brazil, Brazil's a World but, Cup team. That's the but one. Yeah. For the uninitiated, like, what he's talking about is like a puncher's chance, right? Like Canada has a puncher's chance against any side in this tournament. Well, I hope so. Speed kills, right? And obviously in the counter they are. They're yeah. devastating. So far they've played the States twice, right? The States are a team in transition, a team uh, in some turmoil as well. They've played Mexico a team that's aging isn't even close to what they once were, and a whole array of, of pretty average CONCACAF teams. All right, this team might be the real deal, but I still need to see them against the best in the world to really have a, a gauge of how good they can be. That being said, I know John Herbman believes they can go out of the group, no matter what the group is. He'll be oh, telling his players add, right don't now. Don't pee on the parade and then add the little caveat <laughs> I'm being a realist, on the end. Tim. Listen, I've enjoyed every <laughs> yeah. second of this campaign, yeah, right? and yeah. I think they're a, they're a good team. 
but I don't know how good they are. And no one does until you see them play what, the best in the world. What do we want at the World Cup draw? What do we want? What, we being Canada, what do we want? Do we want the best chance to get through the group? Do we want teams to bring headlines on this team? Like, imagine if it was England. And imagine how much press would be on this group and John Herbert and the teams around it. And then, by the way, how many people are watching those players to scout them and say, Alistair Johnson suddenly shut down Raheem Sterling, by the way, he's getting a move to a championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It takes yeah. one match, yep. right? That's, for me, that's why, I, you know, everyone wants Qatar because it's the best team. But you get a, play, you get a game like that, 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 is an, uh, that is a once-in-a-lifetime moment. But I, I think we care about the draw more in 2026 when they're hosting games and maybe they're seeded and, and maybe there's, you know, a chance yeah. to progress. Who knows what that's going to be with but, 48 But this one is about getting the shine, shine yeah. a spotlight. Yeah, I know. <laughs> me Don't get me started. I'm a- shine a spotlight on this team against the best in the world right now. You know, the rest is gravy for me. You know, right. that's, maybe it's, uh, I'm in the minority here, but I want to see them play the best teams and, and make or break. We'll enjoy it no matter what. All right, Laura, less than 90 here, but isn't what these guys are arguing about and bickering about the beauty of all this and that Canadians are going to enjoy this for the first time. Like, what do we want? Do we want the world's best? Do we want to get through the group? Do we want to have the best? Like, all of this is what makes the World Cup special. And I'm not sure, like, Canadians who don't follow this all the time understand what they're getting into because it's fun as hell. (laughs) Canadian soccer is one of the best communities that you can be a part of. And the global soccer community is one of the best communities you can be a part of. So yeah, jump on the bandwagon now. And you're jumping on for years, not for just this cycle. You're jumping on for 26 and beyond. So it's going to be fun. Also, I can't do Canada versus England, KJ, so we're not going to talk. Group H again on a simulation. Brazil, Switzerland, Japan, and Canada. I'm doing this for the rest of the Japan show. Again, hey, a rivalry's going. Listen, this was a lot of fun. I hope we can do this more because I feel like um, we're on the precipice of and listen, I cover every sport. The growth that I've seen in football in this country over the last couple years is unlike anything I have ever seen before. And I hope this is just the start of something. And I hope that I can have all three of you back and do it's great this talking again. football on this great show. It is. It's, it's great. Well, I don't know about the great show, but yeah. it is great talking it's football. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. The accents aren't that great, though. Uh, KJ, they're not made up. James Sherman, Laura Armstrong, appreciate you. And let's do this again soon. Time for a break. When we come back, hockey next. Leafs facing their old rivals in Boston. Sherman? Leafs, Boston, first round. Oh, let's hope so. It's time to change the narrative there, isn't it? Oh, Come on now. Look at this. Jump in. Rest. We'll talk okay. Braves later, KJ. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hockey next. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe. Friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Uh, John wrote in and just said, KJ is going to be our pot expert. Tim and Friends had my full attention. <laughs> <laughs> Back here, hour number two on Tim and Friends, full hour on Sportsnet 360, which includes Ben Nicholson-Smith from Dunedin to talk all things Blue Jays. Just a half an hour to go on Sportsnet as we head to the Leafs pregame on Sportsnet Ontario and Hockey Central everywhere else. Justin Bourne will join us in just a couple moments, plus visits to the rinks in Boston and Calgary. The hockey world, though, mourning Eugene Melnick after the 62-year-old Sens owner passed away yesterday. Today at the GM meetings, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman and Sens GM Pierre Dorian shared their thoughts on Mr. Melnick. 
I'm just going to say uh, a few words. I don't know how I'll be, but I'll try my best. Um, first of all, um, Eugene Melnick was a son. He was a father to two great daughters, Anna and Olivia. And he was a human being that gave a lot. Um, he's someone that brought stability to the Ottawa Senators franchise. If not for Eugene Melnick, the Senators would not be in Ottawa. I'm so thankful to him on a personal note. He allowed me to be one of the 32 GMs in the league. It's, it's an elite position, and I'm so thankful for him for giving me that opportunity. And I want to promise the fans in Ottawa that we will deliver a Stanley Cup one day. He will be remembered as somebody who uh, purchased the franchise at a difficult time in the franchise's history, uh, stabilized it, made it competitive, uh, and was always passionate about the game. Melnick Senators uh, will face the Predators in Nashville tonight. Leafs, meanwhile, will take on their old rivals, the Boston Bruins in Beantown. You can see it on Sportsnet Ontario starting with the pregame following us, 6.30 Eastern time. Jack Campbell took part in practice today as he gets closer to a return while Peter Morazic starts again tonight. He's looked a wee bit better, winning two in a row after clearing waivers, of course, with more in tonight's game. He has never been put on waivers by Sportsnet. Let's go live to Boston and check in with Sean McKenzie. Shawnee, what's going on, buddy? You can put me on waivers. I, I get claimed, I think. I have confidence in myself. Oh, nice. I believe that I would get picked up by another franchise and then put on waivers no, again I, and again. I can't put you on waivers. Filter through the system. No, I can't put you on waivers. I need you. I need you here. I need you now. Tell me what's going on tonight. Well, you mentioned two bits of good news for the Maple Leafs. Number one is that Jack Campbell was on the ice. He was in the other net taking full reps. So it looks like he is getting very close to a return. There's still no exact date, but it feels like it won't be a matter of time, maybe another game or two before he is back in the starters net. The other bit of good news is that Peter Mrazek seems to have at least turned his game around marginally in the two games that we've seen him pick up wins and that's great news because this is a very interesting stretch for the Maple Leafs because right now the biggest topic in Leafs Nation is who should they meet up against in the playoffs what is the optimal matchup and it's interesting as we've actually gotten to see a few of these previews we saw Carolina Hurricanes two Thursdays ago that was a big win for the Maple Leafs we saw them take down the Florida Panthers just a game ago the Maple Leafs have this tendency lately to rise to their opponent and almost shrink down to their opponent we've seen losses against teams that are well below them in the standings but tonight for me is a very interesting one you mentioned the history the Leafs can't come into this building in without thinking okay it's happened a lot and that's Leaf fans I speak of because Willie Melander said today that yeah he does think about it a little bit but he's over it he's putting it behind them the Bruins are excited. It was a, a Bruce Cassidy who said that, you know, it's a rivalry that he wants to see emerge. And why wouldn't you if you're the Boston Bruins? They always seem to win in this rivalry come playoff time. But I'm excited for this one. It feels more than a regular season game. Hey, for Vancouver and those great teams with the Sedins to get over the hump, they had to slay the Dragon in Chicago. They had to go through the Fratellis. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Leafs don't go through the same thing this year. Uh, I do feel, though, like probably Margarita would have some veto power over at TSN and may say ixnay to the Sean McKenzie. We'll find out. You never know. <laughs> Put me on waivers. Let me go drink margaritas. Can't uh, take a week off. Wait for me to get claimed. Yeah. It's not the worst thing. Not a bad life. Yeah, maybe get on a plane, go somewhere. I hear you. Uh, appreciate well, you, as yeah. always.
Oh, thanks, Timmy. <laughs> there is Sean McKenzie joining us from Boston, where I still think the Leafs want the Bruins in the first round. Look what the alternatives are. Jesse's saying no. I know Leaf fans are saying no. But to be the man, you got to beat the man. What better way to get over the hump than beating the That's Boston Bruins in the first round? It would feel like a slaying of the dragon. Anyways, Calgary. Flames hosting the Avs tonight. It is the meeting of the top two teams in the West. You can see it regionally on Sportsnet West, 7 local, 9 Eastern time. Now, Nathan McKinnon will miss tonight's game. Officially listed upper body injury. Now, there's speculation it's a hand injury picked up in this fight with Matt Dumba on Sunday. With more, let's head to Calgary. Check in with Ryan Leslie. The good looking Ryan Leslie. Yeah, Tim, the big news here in Calgary, obviously, is no Nathan McKinnon, who has gone back to Denver to be evaluated with that upper body injury. Uh, Avs head coach Jared Bednar saying that possibly it stemmed from that fight against Matt Dumba of the Minnesota Wild. So, obviously, another huge blow to their lineup on the injury front, already without the services of Gabriel Landeskog and Samuel Jar, just to name a couple of key pieces. Nazem Kadri will draw in on that top line, first line center for the Avs tonight against Calgary. Now, speaking of the Flames and lineup news, we can tell you that... Uh, Sean Monahan is going to draw back in the lineup on the fourth line for Calgary. He's been out the last couple of games with a healthy scratch situation. He's been watching his team and obviously he's been nothing but a professional and very supportive of his teammates during what has to be a very challenging time in his career. And we can tell you that it will be Jacob Markstrom who will draw between the pipes tonight for Calgary. It's been Dan Vladar through two meetings in this matchup, but tonight Jacob Markstrom gets the nod for the Calgary Flames. Tim. There is Ryan Leslie in front of the Avs practice in Calgary and uh, add Ryan Murray to that list and it's a pretty banged up Avalanche squad that will face the Calgary Flames tonight. Justin Bourne joining us now. I don't believe he's banged up. I believe he's 100% uh, healthy right now and we can almost confirm. Confirmed. Confirmed. Awesome. Uh, he mentioned the Sean Monaghan part of that equation, and that's got to be tough. Like a three-time 30-goal score, a guy that looked like the face of the franchise for a while. Um, how, how do you see Monaghan working out here, and is Sutter's game of healthy scratch maybe something to inspire the young man? Well, maybe it's something to inspire him, but I think in the greater picture, it, it should be somewhat inspirational for the rest of the guys that, you know, the yeah. hockey lineup is a meritocracy, and if you play really well, you get to play more, and you get more opportunity, and if you're not playing well, you don't get to play as much, and it doesn't matter what your contract is or what your past is, it, it's entirely merit-based, and so for Monaghan, you know, there's a number of reasons why it could not be going awesome for him. He's had a number of surgeries over the, year, uh, over the years. He's, you know, not been playing with the same line mates as some of the top guys. Things have been different, obviously, but I, to be honest, I like it. I think it's a bit of accountability for your franchise and whatever it does for Monaghan, you hope it inspires them, but what it should do for everyone else around you is just be a little reminder that like, you may have a name, you may be a guy that people know about, you're a little famous, but you still have to play well because Daryl Sutter is not afraid to say sorry, sit in the stands and watch. What do you make of the McKinnon injury? And I know we don't know a hell of a lot right now, but man, could that throw a curveball into the Western Conference. Yeah, you know, my first thought, and this is just bias as a hockey fan, is I love what McKinnon did. I love what Del 
Dumba did, like big hit on one of the other team's best players in Rantanen. I love that McKinnon went to his aid, right? This is like good old-fashioned team stuff, and then he lands a big bomb on Dunba. I was like, man, that is great. This Avalanche team is going to go far, and then, you know, he hurts his hand. I worry that it's going to get rid of this stuff, right? Because how do you tell your team that you want your stars doing this sort of stuff when it results in injury? I, you know, I know on my show with Kipper and I, we've said before we want to see more pushback from a guy like Austin Matthews or yep. want to see more pushback, and then you get the pushback from a superstar, and the guy breaks his hand, and you leave people like me and Kipper going, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know. I don't know we should be doing this. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I, it does change how you feel about moments like that, but hopefully he's fine. You know, the Avalanche are, are a team that has obviously got cup aspirations. If they if they rest Landeskog because of injury and they rest McKinnon because of injury here on the way to the playoffs and get a roll in the first round, those guys take the month of April off. Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. You just have to be sure you get through that first round first. Just throw something into the equation, though, that I don't think a lot of – I mean, we were talking about Daryl Sutter saying in a press conference a week ago, uh, anyone who draws the Avalanche is eight days wasted. Like, it was <laughs> – if you get him in the first round, you might as well love peace and hair grease. And uh, if McKinnon's out and Landis Cog is whatever Landis Cog is, uh, that's a different series. Well, um, and how about if it's Vegas? Like, how yeah. about you, you, Vegas is the eight seed? All of a sudden, they get back Stone and Martinez, and Leonard could come back. And then if Colorado doesn't get those guys back in time, like, is Vegas the favorite? I'm telling right. you, it's uh, the first round. Everything in the West is shaping up perfectly fine for all the good teams, unless that scenario unfolds where you're hurt and Vegas gets uh, all their guys back. So, what does a game like tonight mean to a team like the Calgary Flames, who haven't exactly had a ton of postseason success, but look like one of the best teams in the West. You know, I think you're at a point in the season where you're proving things to yourselves. Like, you've proved it to the West that you're one of the best teams in the West. There's no doubt about it. You know, you're built for playoffs. You've made good moves and acquisitions. You like your goaltending. But there are a couple of things in your way, and the Colorado Avalanche are obviously one of those. I think the more times you can take them down and put that feather in your cap and go, look, we can beat them. Yeah, they didn't have everyone, but by and large, you know, we know we're able to handle most of these guys. It's really about proving it to yourself that you've got it within your own room to handle another group. Uh, the Flames, I think, have proved to the rest of us that they are not the Flames of last year. Now it's a matter of proving to themselves that they're not just one of the better teams. They're, you know, maybe the best team in the West. I, I try and convince myself that this quote uh, about perspective uh, applies to me, but I probably am lying to myself. Perspective is worth 80 IQ points is what the quote says, Mr. Bourne. And I look at the standings and I see Calgary and Toronto, same amount of games played, separated by one point. But mm. the feeling around both teams is so remarkably different. <laughs> Can you figure out why? Yeah, well, you're right. It's expectations. I think expectations uh, is the lens through how we look at everything. So same with a player contract. If a guy makes $11 million or if he makes $1 million, right. and, you know, and they got the same points, you know, one, one guy's a failure, one guy isn't. The Leafs, you know, they've been at the top of this division for years now or, or near it. They've been in the first round. They've had cup aspirations. They've had all-in deadlines before. So, yeah, it, it, everything less than, you know, getting by a first round is not good enough, where last year the Flames missed the playoffs. So I think it is just a matter of where we thought they would be this season. But by the same token, it's what's ahead too in that, you know, the Leafs feel like they're driving a Lamborghini 100 miles an hour into a brick wall and it seems like the, the Flames have a little bit more of an open lane ahead given the Western Conference and the Pacific Division. So uh, you're right, perspective's worth a lot. Uh, context is important on these things. Alright, so the Leafs 
feel like the brick wall, at least Leaf fans feel like there's a brick wall because of the division that they play in. Jesse and I and Sean McKenzie were just talking about if you'd want to face the Bruins, who they face tonight, in the first round. For me, it's like slay the dragon that's had you. This is the best chance that you've got against the Boston team. Like, yeah. I know that, that you know they've got some kids playing pretty well in goal, but they're also going to the playoffs for the first time. I, I think you have kids and you read children's novels, Tim. That's what I think. I think <laughs> yes, the, the yeah. fantasy about slaying the dragon, yeah. it, you know, is if you can avoid it, avoid the dragon entirely. You don't have to fight it if you can go around it. <laughs> you know, I, I look at Carolina on the other side and I say, if the Leafs drop to a wild card spot and all of a sudden all the pressure is on Freddie Anderson, this guy that Leafs fans don't believe can handle the pressure, you know, do you feel better about that? Not to mention, if you were to fall to that spot and play a Carolina and you beat Carolina, then you're playing out of the Metro. Then mm-hmm. round two, you're looking at the Rangers or the Penguins, which got to be better than what round two looks like in the Atlantic. So I, I understand everyone saw Washington beat Pittsburgh in that second round and go on to win their Stanley Cup. That was like the thing that it felt like narratively speaking, it was yep. perfect. Maybe there's something to that mental aspect. I think just a general rule is if you can play uh, teams that are not as good, that is an advantage. (laughs) I think the Bruins are as good as any team in the NHL right now, particularly over the last 10, 15 games. All right, uh, Peter Mrazek is uh, getting the start again tonight. He's won two in a row since clearing waivers. Have you seen anything different from him or the Leafs around him? I go back and forth on this. I I do think that as a goalie, sometimes the hockey puck hits you. You stand in the blue paint and wear a lot of equipment. Sometimes you have bad luck. Sometimes it you know it hits you. And I, I feel like Peter's been hit by a lot of pucks lately. You know, if you're the team and you're Sheldon Keefe, you're selling it as. Um, you know, he's played better, and you know what, to his credit, I feel like he's caught more pucks. More pucks have hit him in the logo and stuck to him. I can't tell if it's anything all that fundamentally different. You're seeing some video of him still sliding pretty aggressively out at plays. You know, I, I talked to Mike McKenna, who said that it seems to be a, a tactical thing, uh, something in his game more than uh, anything else. So I'm hopeful that confidence allows this guy to get on a roll for the Leafs' sake. I want the Leafs to, to have a shot in that first round, so... I don't know. I, uh, you know, I think sometimes you, you get lucky sometimes, and then for a goalie, maybe that gets your confidence on, on a roll, and hopefully that's he puts him in a good spot going into the last month of the season. All right, less than a minute here, and we're walking down to the Bruins and the Leafs regionally on Sportsnet Ontario. Give me some early returns on what you've seen from Mark Giordano. I mean, Sheldon Keith loves him. That's my early return. You see the <laughs> post-game pressers. Sheldon, Sheldon can barely contain himself. He's giddy. He's just like, I, I think three of our uh, lowest chance games, he said, have been since Giordano's there. And he said, I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, with a minute left against the Florida Panthers, who's on the ice? It's Riley and it's Giordano. He's just been, he plays an aggressive game, but that it's on the right side of aggression. There's a lot of stick work in, fr- in, in front of the net. You know, he, he's really hard on guys in the corners, but he's very veteran enough to know how far he can push that. It's just a nice look for the Leafs to have a guy come over the boards, up a goal, and say, we feel comfortable that this guy's going to do the right thing with the puck. It's a comfort with Giordano as much as anything, and then that's something the Leafs have been missing, particularly in Muzzin's absence. Yeah, without a doubt. But then you get Muzzin back, you get Sandine back, and all of a sudden... They're good defense, back there. Yeah, the defense core looks a little bit better. Uh, Borne, always appreciate your time, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, Tim. Uh, there is Justin Bourne. He will be a part of the broadcast tonight... As you can see, Leafs and Bruins on Sportsnet Ontario. Flames abs also.
regionally. Get your sunrise package, kids. Time for break. When we come back, we'll continue to get you set for the Leafs and Bruins. Plus, check in with our team at the NHL GM meetings, which wrapped up in Florida. Changes to the salary cap. And the World Cup of Hockey is back with some ideas. Next, I'm Tim and Friends. Welcome back, friends. Leafs Bruins coming up Sportsnet Ontario. The Leafs, obviously, with a lot of recent history against the Bruins. And the barn can get pretty rowdy in Beantown, something Austin Matthews spoke about earlier today. It's a great atmosphere. It gets rowdy, and uh, it's a lot of fun to play, and the energy's uh, usually pretty high, and, um, you know, usually makes for, for pretty exciting games, a lot of fun. For you, why why do you think the puck has maybe been going in? There's a lot of factors when you're on the ice, of course, goaltending defense. But why do you think the puck's been going in a bit more often with you on the ice than you'd like? Uh, obviously, yeah, it's uh, something that I don't like. Obviously, and it's uh, it's a feeling. But I I don't know. It's uh, it's certain situations where it just uh, the puck just finds its way in. And I mean, for example, there are a couple ones like maybe in uh, Montreal where I could have that guy and uh, avoid that being a goal. Like. But I mean, it's just been—it's uh, just been happening in you know, some weird ways uh, sometimes. Yeah, kind of like Erica, who writes in about Justin Bourne saying, "Peter Morazic, sometimes the puck just hits you." Brilliant. <laughs> the honesty is refreshing. Yes, sometimes it's that simple, kids. The NHL GM meetings have wrapped up in Florida, and there's some notable news to come out of them today. With more on that, let's send it to our panel. Soaking up the sun in Florida. Here's uh, Kyle Bukoskis, uh, Elliot Friedman, and Jeff Merrick. Gents. You know, we'll start this one off with a little bit of an audible. Kyle, we're going to hand the host microphone over to you in a couple of seconds here. But, guys, the big story of the day is the passing of Ottawa Senators owner Eugene Melnick. And, Kyle, of the three of us, you're the most uniquely qualified uh, to add comment here. Um, you've covered the Ottawa Senators for a number of years. Do you have a thought on the passing of Eugene Melnick? I just think it's it's a very complex legacy left behind for, for Mr. Eugene Melnick. You know, I think as Pierre Dorian was mentioning here on Tuesday, if not for Eugene Melnick, uh, there's a very good chance the Ottawa Senators are not in the nation's capital here today so he was controversial there's no question about that I mean there's a reason why he hadn't done any public media speaking since the outdoor game in Ottawa back in 2017 but you know I think for someone like myself who covers a team who follows a lot of the big sends Twitter accounts that follow the team a lot love the team who have been the most critical of the owner in recent years you know there was a lot of respect I saw the last 24 hours of course with the news breaking of, of his passing I, I just think he was someone like a longtime season ticket holder like someone who buys all the apparel that comes with being a Senators fan. He wanted nothing more than the team to win. He just happened to be the one that owned the team. And, you know, a lot of people wondering, Kyle, who are Senators fans, is what does this mean for the future? With the recent news, the NHL wasn't really going there. They said, look, the team right now, they'll let the trust and the estate handle it, and we'll see how this unfolds over the next little while. But, you know, I think that's obviously a story that we're just not really having a great handle on as of this time. You know, I think all of us will flat out, I think we'll miss Eugene Melnick. You know, we're in an era right now where teams are corporately owned. That's the direction that the game is going in right now, and there's less and less, you know, single owners or family-owned teams in the NHL or in all sports, and I, I think the, the league loses a little bit when uh, when people like Eugene Melnick pass. So, safe to say we'll all miss him. Sure, and all right, as we 
transition back to the last couple of days of meetings here uh, down in Florida, Jeff. I mean, the big talk going into this was long-term injury relief. There yeah. was about a 30-minute discussion here on Tuesday. What came of it? So Brad Living, GM of the Calgary Flames, talked about, you know, no one really had a very specific issue with it. It was more of a discussion point. Like, we've talked a lot about Nikita Kucherov and what he did last year with Tampa with, you know, the paraphernalia, the hats and the shirts and the $18 million over the cap. You knew something was going to happen. You knew there was going to be a discussion. Uh, Brad Living mentioning essentially, like, sure, we can look at it and try to recommend some tweaks, but I don't think anyone has a real profound problem with it. Gary Bettman maintained uh, that the issue with LTIR was more perceptual than actual. People perceive teams to be hiding players, disguising salaries, and springing players out uh, come playoff time. Gary Bettman mentioning that uh, not a single general manager thought that the LTIR system was being abused. I, I think the other things, too, that we got to take a look at from here, by the way, it was Ken Holland who made that particular proposal. He was the one who wanted it discussed. He talked about uh, Henrik Zetterberg, about how they signed Henrik Zetterberg to a big backdiving contract, and the rules changed on Detroit in 2012. So that's one of the things he wanted to see was, do we think that this needs to have a change? Some other things, the World Cup, it's pretty clear that they weren't giving us a lot of information on that. Yep. Very preliminary. Um, the cap will go up $1 million next year to 82 and a half, as had previously been predicted. Um, you know, those were a couple of things that were talked about, the no trade clauses, the Dodonov, and the only thing the league would say about why things unfolded the way it did was that Central Registry did not have the list of Dodonov's teams. So we are getting to a point where even though some agents and teams won't like it, there is going to be a list at Central Registry now so that the league will know who's on everyone's no-trade list. And so those are the things that kind of came out of this. Not big, huge news-breaking stuff, yeah. but general house-cleaning things. And you mentioned the salary cap going up by a million. You know, one of the things that is expected to help drive up revenue for the league are those sponsored jersey patches. We saw the Columbus Blue Jackets come out with their jersey for next season. Hockey purists may not like the idea, but that conversation, <laughs> it. yeah, yeah, it's not going anywhere. All right, there is the crew in Florida. Kyle Bukaskis, Jeff Merrick, Elliot Friedman. The World Cup obviously coming up with fans. Jesse, are you upset? Team North America and Team Europe may be a thing of the past in the new and improved World Cup. No, I think because the NHL hasn't been going to the last couple of Olympics, we've been robbed of a true best-on-best. Best. Thank you. A tournament that we used to love and enjoy and gave us the golden goal, gave us great moments. And uh, it, it was fun when well, they did it once, but there was yep. always the expectation after that that they'd probably go to the Olympics. That didn't happen. So now everyone wants to see the best on best. Let's do it. I couldn't um, agree with you. The layer. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, people are lamenting the loss. Like, that was a, okay, Team North America was kind of sort of cool. It worked out, but it was a gimmick. And we haven't had best-on-best best hockey. Allow the teams that want to be there to be there. Mm -hmm. Like, I could care less about losing Team Europe and Team North America than I care about people's opinions about Chris Rock and Will Smith. Like, it's just, <laughs> I'm, I'm at that point where I just, I don't that care That got anymore. old fast. No, that oh, my God, fast. did that get old fast. Like, that meme, like, we were, we were pretty early with the meme that we sent out on socials. Oh, like, I get very, why it very went early, viral. Yeah. Very early. Yeah. But everyone followed suit on the internet, and now it's just enough. It's over. But people, like, weighing in with their well-thought opinions. Like, Ike, get out of here. Now, apparently, they're going to talk about it on the Red Table, this, which is her show. This, like, there's a whole industry, oh, though, of, yeah, of people just with 
takes, long form takes on something that happened. Oh, I, I, I guess that's our show. I don't get. Well, we have a long form <laughs> take on things that we know. Yes. People right. weighing in on this without automatically being a Will Smith, Chris Rock expert. Guess what, kids? We got some pretty good hockey coming up on the network today. That's right. Sportsnet Ontario gets Leafs pregame. Rest of the country gets Hockey Central with Ken Reed. As for us, we're back on Sportsnet 360 with a closer look at Greg Bird. Got a chance to be the big left-handed bat. Ben Nicholson-Smith live from Dunedin talking all things Blue Jays. Enjoy the night, everybody. Or stay with us. Back in 60 on 360. with us on Sportsnet 360 off day for the Jays just 10 days away from opening day at the Rogers Center we'll be down there for the show live on the field Friday April 8th don't you dare miss it Greg Bird hoping that he is going to be there as well he's had a solid spring as he tries to crack the Jays roster and get back to the big leagues with more here's Hazel May back in Florida There's a deep drive to left field. This ball's got some carry. This ball is gone. Greg Bird goes deep to the opposite field. And when he's swinging the bat in that direction, that's when he is most dangerous. First thing that I think sticks out to anybody is just the big time power. Left handed bat. The sprint turning that he's having, it's, it's, yeah, we're thinking about him. Long couple years, but it's life. Life as a Blue Jays non-roster invitee is a far cry from the days when Greg Bird was a highly touted prospect for the New York Yankees. Seen as a franchise cornerstone alongside then minor league peers Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez. Everything was going according to plan until injuries derailed his progress. Bird missed the entire 2016 campaign with a torn labrum and then dealt with ankle and foot issues from 2017 to 2019, limiting him to just 140 games over that span. I remember him being kind of their guy in their future at first base, kind of when that first season ended for him. Hasn't played out like he thought it had. A good-looking prospect. I remember that. He said, all oh, oh, these guys going to help the Yankees a lot. And, and of course, then he got hurt. You know, and then I've seen that through the years, like guys get hurt, and then it's tough to come back, and all oh, they rush back and stuff. Bird was released by the Yankees following the 2019 season. Undeterred, he tried to get his career back on track with minor league stints with the Rangers and Phillies. Then last season with the Rockies AAA affiliate. And while he never got called up to the big league team, he did show glimmers of the talent that made him such a hot prospect. No regrets. Really appreciative of the time. Um, a lot of people that without him I wouldn't be here. So a lot of lessons learned and a lot of good times and a lot of great people and I have no complaints. This guy had a good year last year. He's got a track record. So yeah, I mean, he's doing everything that he can do. And one thing I told him at the beginning, we're gonna play you a lot. There's all the teams. Hopefully you make the club with us, but we're gonna give you a chance to show what you can do and he's doing it. it. Feels good. I think there's still room for improvement. Like I would like to be on the barrel more consistently. And I suppose as baseball players we're always searching for something, whether or not we should be. <laughs> so it's been good. I guess you always want it to be better, but 
I'm here. I'm having fun. Aaron Judge told the New York Post that a healthy Greg Bird is still a force to be reckoned with. The Yankee star outfielder still considers Bird one of the best hitters he's ever played with. He's always been able to swing the bat when he's healthy, Judge said. And I want to see him do those things, just not against us. Hazel May, Sportsnet, Venice, Florida. All right, Venice looks nice. Uh, we chat with more people in warm weather <laughs> locations as Ben Nicholson-Smith joins us from Dunedin, Florida, where it uh, yeah, looks wonderful there. Are you enjoying the sun, Ben Nicholson-Smith? It's great to be in the sun. It, it is, and it's nice to be watching actual baseball, too. The first game I saw, Vlad Jr. hit an opposite field home run. It's a sign the baseball's back, and that's yeah. always nice to have. Your heart smiles. Your soul feels good. I understand it. You're doing the podcast from a bar at the beach. I, I get it. Life is good. Uh, let's focus in on Greg Bird for a second. I kind of got on the Bird train early because I just wondered who would be that big left-handed bat and when they you know made a couple splashes I thought maybe there's not enough money left over to go out and get what could be an established guy is Greg Bird gonna crack this opening day roster in your mind I think he is I think yeah. he is and as Hazel said in that report there I mean he has that pedigree and right now he's hitting so that's a good sign you look at this Blue Jays position player group and if it's not Greg Bird, I'm not sure who it would be. There's room really for one extra player beyond their core group here, and Bird has really positioned himself well. Charlie Montoyo and the coaching staff really like what they see, and they need that left-handed bat. So, you know, it's, it's a long way back. It's been three years since he last hit a home run in the major leagues, so it's been a while, but it would be an awesome story if he's able to come back and make that happen. You mentioned that position player group. Like, it's, it's pretty much set, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it really is. And, you know, once they expanded the rosters to 28, that gives them so much room, right? You're able to bring Reese McGuire along with Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk if they want. You're able to bring aboard, of course, a Rymel Tapia to help out in the outfield. So they really do have some, some depth uh, to this position player group right now. But it's not to the point that they absolutely have to cram more guys onto the roster than they have. And so it's right now, at least, with still a week to go of games, it's still, it does look like they've got some things figured out there. All right, I was talking to uh, Justin Bourne last segment or a segment and a half ago about early returns on Mark Giordano. Uh, I know it's even earlier returns on Ramel Tapia, but what do you make of it? It's a good move for this team. Like, I honestly think it's a win-win. Like, I could see Randall Gritchuk hitting 35 or more home runs in Colorado. It's a great fit for him. But for the Jays, they didn't need another righty power bat. You know, they, they get someone in Tapia who's a slap hitter, singles hitter. He's not going to hit the ball over the fence that much, but he gives a different skill set, and he's able to help them defensively too with some left field and even some center. I mean, that's a question for me as the Blue Jays continue this spring is how good does he look in center field? Because realistically, George Springer... Not playing 162, so you need to have a good option behind him. Right. Uh, spring, not Springer, but spring is about sorting through the important from the who gives a bleep. I keep hearing about Kikuchi, Merriweather, Ryu struggles. Which, if any, are you concerned about among the three that I just named? Probably Merriweather the most, just because you, know, you really want to see a guy like that who's on the edge of the roster really come in and do a good job to claim that spot. But with Ryu and with Kikuchi, these guys are pros, they're veterans, and we have to remember too, it's a short spring. So they have less time to really get things lined up the way they normally might. And when veteran pitchers like that who have succeeded year after year in the major leagues are struggling a little bit, you know, I put struggling kind of 
you know, in relative terms there, because we're talking about spring games, right. then to me, you just take it in stride. And if it's still happening in a month, then, you know, we have a real discussion. But part of this, especially for pitchers, is you're just getting your work in, right? Like, I noticed that Ryu's fastball rate was way higher in the first inning, and he gets beat up a little bit. Like, some of that is just making sure you're doing the things that will get you into, without, especially as a veteran, without worrying what the results are. Oh, 100%. And I mean, Ryu has pitched in enough spring games where he's not trying to impress people. He's not trying to win over the Blue Jays. Like, he's he's won them over. They've already benefited from one really good season from him and one okay season. And, he, you know, a lot of people around this team think he can bounce back. When you look at last season, it wasn't a good year. And especially toward the end, he did slow down. But mm-hmm. he's a, a pro, and, and I think there's a lot of reason to believe in a lot of people in this organization who think that he can be a solid number three to four starter going forward if he bounces back in any sort of way I mean we had Ben Wagner on who called the Jays the best rotation in baseball like if Ryu is halfway between what he was in his first year and what he was last year I kind of think this is the best rotation in baseball yeah, it, it really might be. And that's yeah. wild because they also might have the best lineup in baseball. I mean, the Dodgers <laughs> probably a number one, you know, after adding Freddie Freeman. But this yeah. is a really good team. It's a really good team. It's a really exciting time for this team. You know, I, I'm writing here, and normally this time of spring, of course, you're, you're poking holes in the roster and you're finding the flaws. And, you know, it's not just like they're going to have adversity this yep. year. They're going to have problems in the course of the next six months. There's no way around that because every team always does. But right now, they're in a good spot, and, and I think it's a really optimistic time around this team. I got a couple of tweets saying, ah, you're pumping the tires too much, McAuliffe. What do you do? And I'm like, well, it's because it's a good team. Like, I'm not going to say that they're not going to hit adversity. I'm not going to say in 162 that people aren't going to panic, but there's a good team here. One of the things that I noticed listening to the uh, ATL podcast, as I often do, and we showed you guys doing it from a rather uh, exotic locale, um, was the renovation talk. What have you been able to gather about what will happen at uh, the Rogers Skydome? Yeah, I mean, they're looking to upgrade it. It's going to be a lot of work on that lower concourse. Um, They're looking at some ways to try to just make it a bit more fan-friendly, even something as simple as pointing the seats in that lower bowl more toward the action (laughs) instead of, you know, shallow center field, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It's a multi-purpose facility. So trying to make it more of that baseball experience. And, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, if you didn't know the changes were there, you'd probably notice them, but it wouldn't necessarily overwhelm you. Uh, But at the same time, it's a good step. Uh, It's a facility that's been around now for a while. And to to maintain it and to upgrade it, that is a good step and one that could be, should be in place within a a few years here or back in Toronto. So the... Obviously, Mark Shapiro talks about the renovations, and we hear a little bit about them, and it's a bigger scoreboard, we think, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see what the LED lights do. And I know doing this in your seat uh, was really hard for Jesse because we had an argument about uh, swiveling in your seat versus having the seat face uh, home plate. I know it's a big thing for many. But is is there a new facility potentially in the works here? Like, is that a real conversation? It's definitely a conversation. I mean, I think the Blue Jays at this point have to figure out, they've got the short term, and that's the the scoreboard, and the medium term is the plan they just unveiled, but there's still the long-term question. And so 
for the Jays, they're considering different things right now. I mean, it could be a, a totally different facility, or it could be just a bigger overhaul to Rogers Center. And in the past, you know, they've talked about some different concepts, right? Stuff like when Paul Beeson was president, they talked about natural grass. Obviously, that never gained traction. But, yep. you know, even something like bringing in the city, you know, the downtown skyline more to uh, Rogers Center, those are the types of things that have been discussed. But that would be a longer-term uh, potential renovation. And, of course, alongside that, they're considering, you know, would they look at uh, an entirely new building? Uh, just because I'm enjoying the sun playing havoc on you right now <laughs> as a legendary squinter like I am, like I, I can't work in the field because my eyes close or I have to wear the douchey sunglasses, one of the two. I'm going to ask you one more question. The Orelvis Martinez and Gabby Moreno demotions, What? Where, where do you see this going in the future? And from what you're talking to uh, people around there, like, What's kind of the expectations of what seems like two real good prospects for this team? Yeah, great prospects, great right. prospects. And, and Moreno didn't get the chance to play, of course, in any spring games. So a little bit of a different situation with mm -hmm. him. But he might be the one who's actually closer to the majors of the two. And if, if things go well, which sometimes they don't for prospects, so we yep. can't assume anything. But if things do go well for Moreno... He could be up this year, like even, you know, mid-season, July, August, you could be looking at him. And then Martinez just had a phenomenal spring, really showcased tremendous raw power, tapped into it in games. I mean, that's a great, great prospect. And he really impressed the players down here, the staff down here, but he's probably further away. So he probably starts either at high A or at double A. They're still working through those assignments this week. And, you know, at that point, you know, double A is probably where he's going to spend a good chunk of this season you're getting closer, and he's really impressing people. So, you know, the, the, those prospects are, are not part of the current plans, but these things can change pretty quickly, and those guys are both pretty exciting. Uh, soak in the sun, apparently, in uh, Dunedin, Florida, <laughs> as it moves in and out of your eyes. I appreciate you doing this. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy the podcast location. I am extremely jealous. Thanks, Tim. Right. Happy to join. There is uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith. By the way, my head is in a very awkward place. I'm going to be honest right now. Anyways, <laughs> time for one last break. We'll get to the last call with Jesse Rubin on next Aww. here on Tim and Friends. It's just where it was. Poor Benny. He's getting hammered by the sun there. Not just me jealous of all the people in Florida right now, right? No. Yeah, Boca Raton. I mean, it's supposed to be Dine warmer. in Venice. Mm. It's supposed to be warmer here Thursday. than it is at this current moment. What do you mean? Like it's, it's the end of March. Should should be a little oh, right. warmer. It should be warm. Yeah, I'm hearing Thursday. It's going to be like 14. Let's let's go. Yeah, let's let's bleep and go. Patio season. Almost. Uh, all right. So we got a couple couple news and notes here. Uh, LeBron James dealing with a left ankle sprain will not play tonight's game against the Dallas Mavericks. Now this is significant because the Lakers currently occupy the 10th spot, which would put them into the play-in. But if they lose tonight, they'll be tied for, I guess, tied for 10th with the Spurs. So could they be in danger missing the playoffs? Like, look, that's, They're not missing the That's playoffs, the territory so. that we are, are moving towards very quickly here. Then uh, Sham Sharania again. Uh, Zion Williams and traveled with the team to Portland, a four-game road trip. Steps in the right direction. He remains out indefinitely, but like potentially he could play. They're in ninth. 
ahead of the Lakers at the moment. The Zion thing is all very troubling because people started really ripping into him and then you see him doing dunks under his legs and then you hear about him coming back. Like these are all warning flags, are they not? Oh yeah, he, he's, he, speaking of trending, he is trending towards Greg Oden. Like not there yet, obviously. No, but the fact that people started saying Greg Oden coinciding with him dunking to prove that he's not Greg Oden and now acting like he's going to come back when yeah. there was no chance of him coming back. Yeah, I believe it when I see it. Oh, I just feel like it's horse bleep. Yeah. I like, I feel like he heard all of that and then said, oh, maybe I should come back this year instead of just sitting on my ass. Let me do a dunk. Well, social media is how he got recognized in the first place, right? So maybe he's trying to use that to his yeah, benefit that, again. That and he was 6'6", 280 in high school throwing <laughs> down 360 windows. Little, our little kids. Yeah, yeah. Our little kids. Uh, okay, uh, more World Cup action today. Uh, Cameroon beating Algeria in a late, late, late goal. And Pascal Siakam is having himself a 24 hours, obviously the Cameroon native, uh, tweeting through the Cameroon win over Algeria. Let's go uh, with an L there. Typo means he was trying to get it out fast and uh, uh, with Cameroon flags. So yes, Cameroon is going to the World Cup. So uh, congratulations to Cameroonians and Pascal Siakam having himself quite a 24 hours. Yeah, a bunch of Algerians pissed off at you <laughs> and Pascal <laughs> yeah. Siakam. Uh, and, of course, we finish how we started today's show. That is Tiger Woods playing, leaving. Okay, he is leaving Augusta, but this is not a big deal. Apparently, he was just coming for a scouting trip, and he played every single hole today. Looked good to me. This is according to a source speaking to ESPN with knowledge <laughs> of Tiger's practice. On the condition of anonymity, like is this what we're doing? I mean, here? I I can't I can't watch. Source I can't be watching ESPN at this to very ESPN moment. ESPN. So we can just trust TW Legion. That's how we live in 2022 right now. Don't take that verbatim. So awesome. <laughs> Don't take that. I'm verbatim. in for it. I, I'm, Let's I'm, go. Listen, I'm I'm down for it. I think Tiger. Listen. Is Scotty Scheffler who's number one in the world right now? Oh, that's my story for Friday. Just, yeah, that's true. Guess what? Nobody that's like knows. Four days away. It's fine. I know. Nobody has any idea who Scotty Scheffler is. Right. And like, Tiger just gets on a plane yeah. and <laughs> gathers more steam than Scotty Scheffler has or ever has. The, the line and is: he's the world number one. Tiger Woods doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. He is the needle. He is the needle for golf. Uh, some news out of the NFL owners' meetings in Palm Beach, Florida. There will be new overtime rules in next Florida. year's playoffs. Both teams will be guaranteed a possession. If the score is tied after each team gets the ball, the next score wins the game. Timmy, do you like the change? What do you mean, do I like the change? Do you like the change? Uh, can we take my computer here, uh, Director Rob Zito? So here's Uncle Timmy on January 23rd, 2022. Future headline. <laughs> NFL changes OT rules to guarantee both teams at least one possession. That's good. And then we go to Uncle Adam. Uncle Adam. Today, both teams will now be assured of getting <laughs> That's really good. In overtime during the postseason. That's really good. Source. All I'll say is, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well deserved. Well deserved. You know, I, I, I don't know. Let me be honest here. I don't normally do that kind of thing. I'm not the thirst trap that needs to scream things out during games that was good. That was in fun. order to get some sort of like and or retweet recognition. I do it because I firmly believe in it. And I knew that that game was going to change that rule for the NFL. And normally, they're a little bit slower to react. It's the right call. And for everyone who says that this diminishes the role of defense, 
tell me you haven't been watching the game of football mm -hmm. without telling me that you haven't been watching the game of football. Every rule diminishes the role of defense. Have you watched games lately? Like everything has been changed to benefit the quarterbacks and the offense. And the fans. And it hasn't adjusted in overtime. So don't give me that nonsense. This is the right call. Both teams need a possession in overtime, especially when you had a game like that where the defense didn't save yeah. the chance. The only other uh, suggestion that was being made, I think the Titans brought this to the table, is that the first team scored a touchdown and then completed a two-point conversion. They would win the game, but just, they just said, just enough offer, of that. Let's just both get offer, the ball. Offer, yeah, yeah, another possession, and then special teams and defense still play a factor. Yeah. It's just that you can't end it on one possession. It's the right move. Should be unanimous. Uh, the Texas A&M men's baseball team has a history of having fun with their post-game interviews, like this one from 2019, and uh, they were at it again. Have a listen to this one. Uh, I want to have you brag on one of your teammates here for a minute. It's kind of an unsung hero of the game in Micah Dallas. It's 4-0 with a runner at, for, at second with nobody out, and he basically shut down Auburn from that point forward. How big was he? 100%. That just shows what type of veteran he is. He can make some mistake pitches early on and all sorts of things, and then come out and give us his best stuff for the rest of it. I mean, Micah Dallas, Will Johnson, and Brad Rudis all helped us win this game. That was a great effort out of the pen and a hell of a start for Micah. Well, if you can fight through all this, I got one more question for look you. Look at these hands, though. <laughs> yeah, look at, my God, six for five. six? Five for five on five. the glove toss there. <laughs> yeah, give him a Pringle. It's unbelievable that he was able to do all that, still maintain his composure, and catch all five. Um, should we try that? Would you be able to keep your composure if I was whipping baseball gloves at you? No, no. The five, like, honestly, like, I, I think that I'm cool, calm, and collected in this spot, and that's one of my strengths. But the five for five on the hands was yeah. impressive as hell. It's incredible hand-eye coordination. Uh, no question about it. The Memphis Grizzlies <laughs> tweeted out something real fun uh, last night. Steven Adams' doppelganger was on the Jumbotron at the game in Memphis. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, we've heard the Jason Momoa, Steven Adams jokes. Um, that one's really good. Tim, who is your doppelganger? Because there, there are quite a few. <laughs> there, are, uh, there are plenty of options. I think uh, Patrick Alvin, GM of yep. the uh, yep. Vancouver Canucks, probably. The Ryan Leslie, when he puts on a pair of glasses. It's not fair as a bald dude. Um, uh, actually, that, that picture, it was the one that was tweeted out with him in Pittsburgh. It was like, oh, dear God, that guy looks like me. He now looks, with the beard? Yeah, he looks whatever. a little stressed there. Yeah, he, he looks just, a little bit older, I think. Yeah, I that's hope. not. I don't know. That's Yeah, that, that ain't the one. Uh, there's the one with uh, Ryan Leslie. Yeah, that's, yeah, that one's good. Ryan's a little fitter than I, though. <sighs> we have a lot to choose from. Um, okay. What do you mean? They're just, just all bald dudes. The, the, exactly. That's what you, ever, you ever seen the, uh, the nerd emoji? Yeah, with the glasses. That's you too. That's your doppelganger. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we had a double overtime thriller in the women's Elite Eight oh last my night. God, Second seeded yes. UConn outlasted the number one NC State to win their first ever overtime game in the NCAA tournament. Canadian Aliyah Edwards had 10 points and seven boards, and four of her 10 points came in OT. Tim, after an emotional win like this, can UConn win the oh, tourney? Oh Give me some love. You asked me last week which number one seed was going to get knocked off, and I said NC State would be knocked off by UConn. UConn, like, never loses. And then I said, no. Never. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're just describing. I mean, I no. can't get two. I can't get two in one last call you, here. I'll give you horns. 
Oh, I worked so hard to try and come up with these answers for you, Jesse Rubinoff. Uh, that does it for us. I'm just kidding. I don't really care. Uh, next up <laughs> on Sportsnet 360, uh, a reminder, Leafs and Bruins about to get going on Sportsnet Ontario. Abs and Flames later on Sportsnet West regionally. Uh, also got all of them in front of you. So enjoy at your leisure. Thanks for watching. Have a great night. UConn's going to win. UConn's going to win. They're going to win? Yeah. Page back.